Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this.
am sitting in the seat of the co-host today. My name is Letitia Wong. With me on the air Hi, Letitia. How are you? Hey, Thomas. What's going on? Hi, you guys. There she is. Hey, Melissa. I'm here. Yay! I am here. Here in full effect. Oh, awesome. Well, we have... (laughs) We have a very full show today. Uh, Let's start off, though, with um, giving thanks to the Lord and praying for his his mercies. So, Thomas, will you please do us the honor? Yes. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says, I record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father God, I thank you for another opportunity to join my two awesome, wonderful, and beautiful co-hosts here on Pro-Life Fridays Radio, Lord God. Father, thank you for the opportunity to once again bring the message of life to our listeners across the nation and around the world. Father, we ask you to bless and anoint our guest today, Ms. Charlotte Bergman, as she's running for office for a congressional seat in Tennessee, Lord God. So we bless you and we love you. We lift you up. In the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 You are certainly sounding a lot better. I don't know what it is in your voice, but Thomas, you sound better than you do normally. Probably because of the Bluetooth. Of the what? Bluetooth. Oh, I meant not the... (laughs) The sound quality is sense. much better, mm-hmm. yes, I agree. <laughs> but I meant you sound much better. What do you mean? I, I think you sound more awake than you normally do. Oh. Could it could I don't be know, I don't know. Are you sleeping? <laughs> it could be the retreat that I'm on, so you never know. All right. Okay. Uh well. Um, oh, my goodness, so much stuff has gone on uh, in the last week. I don't even know where to start, but I say that every week, so I have to start somewhere. Uh, we have so much, so much, so much, so much. This is uh, the United States is into week three uh, after the official launch of the Obamacare Exchanges website. And have either of you checked it out? Oh, yeah, I went to it, but I didn't attempt to sign up because it data captures all your information once you sign up. Oh, yeah. I understand that the uh, website itself makes no claims to protect your security at all. Right. <laughs> at least that's one truthful thing about it. Um, but it has been plagued, plagued, plagued with technical problems, Suddenly, the word glitch is supposed mm-hmm. to make all the uh, negative word, negative connotations about that go away. But now, from now on, I think this is going to be the word of 2013. 
that's going to be the word, glitch. You know, they have a, a right. word of the year. Like, year right. uh, 1999 was, the word was Y2K. This is going right. to be the year of glitch. Well, things are not looking so good for President Obama's namesake, health care plan. Not only does the website fail to work properly in the majority of cases, the numbers of people who are ultimately choosing to buy their health insurance from the government is pathetically low. But let's just face it. Obamacare, America is just not in, that into you. The literal bottom line is that the Unaffordable Lack of Care and Patient Victimization Act needs you more than you need it. But why buy insurance when you can have Medicaid for free? So what has happened in the last three weeks, uh, CBS this morning reports that Medicaid enrollment has been sky high. Now we're talking Medicaid, not Obamacare. Obamacare well, you know that story. It has yeah. been yeah. exceedingly low traffic, not just due to the fact that you can't navigate on it. People are checking out the prices when they get there and realizing it's double what they pay already, so never mind. Ah. Mm. And thus, actuates what conservatives have been saying about statist large-scale schemes to fund things that do not work over the long haul. In health control's right. case, mm -hmm. just like Social Security. But unlike Social Security, we will be seeing its failure a lot sooner than later. Now, Social Security has been around for these many de decades, and it's taken this long for the population of America to realize it's not solvent. You know, they said it was not right. going to be solvent when it was set up. So here's the big told you so from people who are no longer alive. But anyway, the addition, mm -hmm. the cost of that failure will be enough to rupture the average American's pants. It's not the entire U.S. economy. Because the price of the failure, the cost, of the failure of Obamacare is going to exceed anything that we've ever seen before. Um, so if you're a Democrat today, what do you do? Well, if you're Representative Jared Polis from Colorado, you ask for an Obamacare waiver for yourself and all your rich friends. Why? Because the premiums for Obamacare policies are well let's let's put it this way remember when uh there was a certain guy that ran for governor of new york i believe it was new york and his name was jimmy mcmillan and he was famous for one single phrase i think that phrase applies here very well Mm. I guess it's way. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of like that. 
It's just too high. Wow. So this from a loyal supporter of Obamacare who reviled Senator Ted Cruz just mere weeks ago for wanting to defund Obama control. But if you're but another person, if you're like Representative Alan Grayson, you go on the offensive. And yes, I said offensive, as in being offensive. Offensive like a lynch mob in a post-Reconstruction South. Grayson, you know, anyone can tell. I, I don't know if anyone can tell if he's purposely this ignorant or is if, if it's a tactic or if it's both. Well, you know, it's probably both. He invoked the spirit of the Jim Crow South by sending out a fundraising letter with a picture of a burning cross reminiscent of the burning crosses white supremacists used right supremacists used to plant in front of the homes of black families. Well, in the picture, wow. the letter, were the words tea party, you know, spelled out with the cross, making a T, har, har, har. The title of his letter hmm. was Now You Know What the T, meaning the burning cross, stands for. Oh, my goodness. Um, yes, he did. And then he oh. coupled down by saying, yes, the Tea Party is just like the KKK. I, I want to point something out to you. It was the Democrat KKK, Ku Klux Klan, who started setting crosses yes. on fire and using them to scare blacks. It was Democrats. Yes who demonized those they hated and thought were inferior to themselves in order to get their way. And finally, the letter Representative Grayson wrote contains a dialogue between himself and Al Sharpton, where Grayson is reassuring Sharpton that he's got things under control. In other words, it was Democrats who gave certain cooperative blacks assurances for not opposing the Democrat Party, and Alan Grayson has just repeated these three legacy action items from the Democrat Party to a T. Pun totally intended. History repeats itself. Oh, yeah. The Democrats are just, they're being themselves all over again. Yeah, Thomas. Letitia, mm-hmm. you, you do understand that um, the fact that Mr. Sharpton gave him a free pass on that is um, oh, yeah. all a part of, it's all a part of the plan because he, Mr. Sharpton is only about himself and how much money he can get. He's been paying, he's been paying, been paid a lot of money. Oh yeah. To look oh, the other way good. as he communities are devastated. Of course. Right. Yeah. Well, how did you, how did how did people become how did some black people in the South become so cooperative with Democrats in the past? How do you think? Well, originally they were threatened. Oh. Yes. So. But you can't threaten somebody who has got nothing to lose. So they paid them. Of course. 
how that happens. Mm-hmm. So. Of course. So, I mean, all this is really ironic. For all the conversations I've yeah. heard here and there, uh, the political parties switch sides. I, you know, I was in a I was in a conversation just yesterday about that. And in fact, it was kind of hilarious because at some point in time, because the person I was having this conversation with with was defending the fact that Republicans are the the old Democrats. You know, this whole switch sides things. And I wasn't going to be able to convince this person otherwise. And he said, you know, this is this talk of communism, socialism, all this stuff. It's the same stuff that Bull Connor and and George Wallace and who else? J. Edgar Hoover used to say. And and uh, you can't mm-hmm. prove me wrong. And I asked, I asked, well, who what party did those men belong to? And instead of getting an answer, <laughs> I got, you can't tell me that Republicans are not like that today. Ah yes. All right. Point made. I think I uh I think I wrote back and said, I think you've been caught. Oh, yeah, boy. he went so, up in there. <laughs> so I mean, but for, for uh-huh. all this talk about yeah, switching sides, switch sides, the Democrats sure don't seem to be any different than they were a hundred years ago. In fact, they are uh-huh. still the party of death. They, are, they, they were the party of slavery, lynch mobs, Jim Crow laws, and population control of the black community. And look today, they still support the same ideas and organizations like Planned Parenthood that they did in the past. Right. Now they are overwhelmingly the party of abortion, which is just another form of slavery. And they use the same arguments identical arguments to protect abortion that they used to protect enslaving black people. Arguments like they're not really persons. They will never have the same capacity as blank, name or standard, whom we will define as fully human. They don't have rights because rights are given by government. And if the Confederacy doesn't recognize those rights, then, well... Instead of confederacy, today we say the Constitution, or we say uh, it's not specified, or whatever. Just fill in the blank. And then speaking of rights, the, only the slave owner or women have rights. The slave, or, the slave owner over a slave, and the woman over what happens to her unborn baby. I, I really, the parallels are so stark. Starkly the same. They are, <laughs> they're like that. They are. Movie, my cousin Vinny, and I'm going to slam the table. They are identical. We love that movie. Right. <laughs> because it is so funny. Um, Very much And so. it's the same. Yeah. It's, this, is a, this, is, this, is the, this is the language. It is identical. Identical. Right. Everything, every argument yeah. that is given in support of abortion today was given in support of slavery. And so tell me, mm-hmm. tell me, tell me, how did the parties switch sides? Did you want to talk about that, Thomas? Because we yeah. had talked about that earlier. And uh, Way you, said you, wanted, you said you had something to say about that. Yeah, or well, here's, here's the thing. The parties never switch sides. There was only right. one indivi- there was only one individual who 
uh, one former Dixiecrat, whoever became a Republican, and when he did, he renounced his racist, segregationist ways, and that was uh, Strum Thurmond. Hmm. Bull Bull Connor also repented of his um, uh, ways as well as a Democrat. He actually, um, some of them did later on become um, Republicans, but they also repented. So that's the that's what they don't tell you about those individuals. So, mm-hmm. right. Instead, what we hear is everybody became unhappy with, I guess, how the Democrat Party became so enlightened and rushed over into the Republican Party um, instead, Mm -hmm. which, if you think long and hard about that, makes no sense whatsoever. Exactly. (laughs) It It makes sense if you change your views and decide to and decide to leave the Republican Party, or you decide to try to change the Democrat Party into a different, to go a different direction, but you don't decide to join the party that you fought against all your political life uh, that hasn't changed anything from the right. party that you don't like anymore, that makes no sense at all. So I'm going to rush over to the other side, you know, the one I don't like even more. So, that, I mean, they're trying to, wow. they have his, done, done historical rev, revisionism to try to make it seem like, oh, all those Dixiecrats became Republicans, and that's how the Republican Party is now so racist, because they're actually mm-hmm. Democrats of the past. That makes no sense, because why would Southern Democrats become Republicans when that is the party right. that, first of all, won the Civil War, <laughs> And came in uh-huh. and enacted Reconstruction in the South. Right. They did right. not. They would not have become Republicans if their lives depended on it. Instead, what we have no. seen is, is the slow, the slow regression. And I don't call it progress. I call it regress. The slow regress of ideas that happen anywhere in the world. Statist mentality, mm-hmm. collectivism. This idea that the state should control more, centralizing power, giving less to the people, giving more to a, a, a central authority or an elite, is, is right. always the case in any government. That's why every country has to fight against the creep toward socialism. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's mm-hmm. no different. So we've had, you know, we've had 200 years of evolution for each party. One became socialist, progressive, and one is getting there. And that's right. what we've seen in the evolution of the po- political parties. But anyway, the that thing, was you know, is nowhere that, my monologue. <laughs> Go I ahead. Say, it, the, sad thing, the sad thing is that this history is not known. It's, they have successfully, yeah. as you said, they've successfully, through propaganda, they've rewritten history. And uh, people uh, won't look and think for themselves on these issues. It's it's right there. It's not difficult to find the, the information. And who voted against the Civil Rights Act in 1964? Um, one of the right. main figures was Al Gore Sr. Al Gore will yep. never champion that. He will never. You'll never hear that. Um, he, he was mm-hmm. a, a prominent Democrat who voted against it. But you don't hear these things. You don't hear about Mitt Romney's father 
uh, marching in the Civil Rights March with, with King and these guys, um, they just flip-flop it. They make it, you know, right. they make history say what they want, what they want to say to keep control um, of, of minorities, of black people. Um, that is any party that, that controls a segment of the population that has the majority of their vote, um, as the Democratic Party does with, with blacks, is, is oppressive. It is very oppressive. Right. It's mind control. It is. As more so, we need to be very careful what we hear from the media. Already, you know, I personally mm-hmm. don't trust mainstream media and the way they spin the truth because I've lived through mm-hmm. uh, plenty of events where you look back later and they talk and you hear you hear commentators talk about it later. And I'm like, I, did you live through the same event I did? Because that is totally not what happened. <laughs> Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, good points, Melissa, because I think that it is. It, I, I saw a an interview, and people are going to really, really rake me over the coals for watching Glenn Beck this week, but he was interviewing Ted Cruz's father, Rafael Cruz, about how what is the one thing that makes the biggest difference that the liberal media, I mean, that's the liberal, the progressives, the regressives, I should say, go after. And that is the information people have access to, the, the, the right. media. Because they know what you hear shapes what you think about something. And so they're going to control uh-huh. your access to the information. They're going to tr- control your view of the information. So what we have seen, I think, from way back into the Clinton presidency is when it started stepping up big time, is protection of all that is sacred to the Democrat Party, which is abortion and uh, abortion and hostility toward Christians and religions in general. Mm-hmm. And we've had a slow, steady drip, increasing drip, I should say, since the 1990s. And people are probably going to get, I'm probably going to get letters, oh, you're nuts, you're crazy. I'm sorry. I'm old enough to know. I was there. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, so anyway, not to get any further off part, I mean, off the topic, what I wanted to hit on next uh, is kind of an extension of our interview with Calvin Beisner last week which was this story that he posted earlier this week, or I think it was yesterday, yes, yesterday, really knocked my socks off because we were talking about how sometimes the green movement or the environmental movement, whatever you want to call it, likes to stress, and they've inserted this idea of being pro-life because you want to support their policy ideas, and that's really pro-life because you're reducing the level of carbon in the atmosphere or you're, you're, supporting big, you're not supporting big oil, and that's somehow pro-life. Or mercury, you're against mercury in your fish, so that's pro-life. And it's not inherently pro-life. But this, to show you how this theme of I, that I say that everything is not as advertised, keeps going on. So we have this big wind initiative in America. Everything, we want to switch over to non-fossil-fuelized forms of energy, which includes solar and wind. 
Well, there's a key component of solar panels and wind turbines. I don't know why. Uh, there, an engineer can tell me why, but some rare earth minerals that have to be mined very carefully, uh, and there's not, since they're called rare, <laughs> that means they're not in abundance, but they're mined so that we can create and, and to build wind farms and wind turbines. Well, these these rare earth mineral, minerals, primarily called neodymium and dyspor, duh, dysprosium, are key components of the magnets used in turbines. And so they're used in the generators. So what does it take to mine these things? It does cause some environmental damage to mine things, uh, and you're going to, this is going to, just make you not go nuts because 95% of all these rare earth minerals have to be man, uh, mined in China. <laughs> you know, the land of the free oh. and the homeless. <laughs> not really. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. They're mined in China. And does China ever make any environmental considerations when they're trying to extract minerals from the earth? No. So what's happening in China? I'm sorry. <laughs> what's happening sorry. is that for every one ton of these rare earth minerals, 95% of them, uh, all our supply is mined in China. For every ton that's mined out of the earth, it produces about an equal amount of radioactive waste. Oh. One for one. Oh, that's nice. According, this is according to the Institute for the Analysis of Global Security. So in 2012, the U.S. added a record 13,131 megawatts of wind generating capacity. That means between 4.9 million pounds and 6.1 million pounds of rare earth minerals were used in wind turbines installed in 2012. It also means that 4.9 million and 6.1 million pounds of radioactive waste were created to make these wind turbines. For perspective, America's nuclear industry produces for between 4.4 and 5 million pounds of spent nuclear fuel each year. So in, in one year of nuclear energy uh, is roughly equivalent to how much toxic waste has been produced making wind turbines. Mm. But the U.S. wind in industry may well have created more radioactive waste last year than our entire nuclear industry produced in spent fuel. It's because nuclear fuel powers 20% of all the U.S. energy, while wind only accounts for about 3.5 percent. Right. So to generate uh -huh. what you know, the the ratio of how much waste is produced versus how much ener energy is produced is so much astronomically higher for wind than it is for nuclear. I would not pet 3.5 percent against 20. Exactly. That, that would be uh -huh. that would be a very bad economic bet. I mean, I would not invest in that. 
But that isn't even the horrible part. Mm -hmm. This is where I would say, I mean, in terms of money, yes, that's horrible. We should not be putting our money into that necessarily. I mean, it shouldn't be public money, definitely. But, you know, if people want to throw away their money privately, that's fine with me. But the main thing that's the problem with mining these rare earth minerals and coupled with China's very lax environmental laws is that the mining happens near villages of people. And what has happened with the toxic waste buildup in their lakes and in their waters and in their ground near these villages is that people have become very, very sick. So there's um, part of this part of this argument. Uh, part of this argument. Uh, yes, today. Article says manufacturing wind turbines is a resource-intensive process. A typical wind turbine contains more than 8,000 different components, many of which are made from steel, cast iron, and concrete. The magnets, 95% of which come from China are mined in these factories that they build the banks of lakes higher. And in one lake in particular, um, the lake grew larger and the stench and fumes grew more overwhelming. It turned into a mountain that towered over us, said one villager. Anything we planted just withered, and then our animals started to sicken and die. People, too, began to suffer. Dalahai villagers say their teeth began to fall out, their hair turned white at unusually young ages, and they suffered from severe skin and respiratory diseases. Children were born with soft bones and cancer rates skyrocketed. Official studies carried out five years ago in Dalahai village confirmed there were unusually high rates of cancer along with high rates of osteoporosis and skin and respiratory diseases. The lake's radiation levels are 10 times higher than in the surrounding countryside, the studies found. Okay, so we want more wind power, but more wind power means people in China living near these mines that must supply the the minerals needed to make wind turbines are suffering horribly from diseases resulting from the mining in a country that doesn't really care. How is this helping? Because we know China's human rights abuses. This is one of them. I mean, I want to look up, I mean, I'm asking myself, where is Aaron Brockovich right about now? (laughs) I want to know where people like her are coming in to advocate for the poor people that have been victimized by very unsafe mining practices. We do it here in the U.S., but we don't care if it's happening in another country because the green movement here in the United States cares too much about its agenda to really care about people. And, you know, I'm going to end it there before I get really hopped up about that. Yes, Leticia, <laughs> you know, you bring up a good point. You bring up a very good point because I've always asked, that same question, but um, let's go to a break and bring, and then after the break, we'll bring on one of my favorite people. So, Letitia, or somebody want to hit the hit the commercial button? Sure. What do you want to hear? Oh, play that one. Play the Blood Money. 
Okay. We scroll up there. Here we go. And we will be back. I've got to leave, guys, but thank you so much for your time. And uh, Miss Charlotte, another time, but Thomas will take good, good care of you. I know you guys are going to have a great interview. We had a whole plan that sold abortions, and it was called sex education. Break down their natural modesty, separate them from their parents and their values, and become the sex expert in their life so they turn to us. When we would give them a low-dose birth control pill they would get pregnant on or a defective condom. Our goal was three to five abortions from every girl between the ages of 13 and 18 multitudes of people that have been hurt by abortion. It's just unfathomable. That abortion is really, to me, the ultimate exploitation of women. It is so shameful and secretive that many women don't tell anybody that they've had an abortion. They won't say anything for 20, 30, 40, 55 years. They're so traumatized with silence. The U.S. Senate report states Physicians, biologists, and other scientists agree that conception marks the beginning of the life of a human being, a being that is alive and is a member of the human species. There is an overwhelming agreement on this point in countless medical, biological, and scientific writings. Planned Parenthood is expanding now. They're building gigantic abortion clinics in anticipation of socialized medicine. There's a lot of money involved. We never would take personal checks. We always encourage the ladies to bring cash. Why is that? So, a lot, you don't have to report cash, friend. When you're fighting for your life, you need to know what you're fighting for. And if what you're fighting for is life, how do you destroy a life in an effort to fight that fight? fighting so hard to save myself that I'll kill someone else to get that. I recognized I'd been involved in the death of 35,000 babies. And the truth has really come out about what abortion does to women, let alone the unborn baby, our dead babies. It will be over. Welcome back to Pro-Life Friday's radio here on True Radio Network. I'm your host, Thomas, and I have Melissa with me, and Letitia had to step away. So now we are going to get into our interview. Let me introduce this phenomenal and sweet and very beautiful and humble Lady, I'll tell you the background on how I met her. As you all remember, during the 2012 election, there was a um, video that went viral of a radio talk show host in Memphis, Tennessee, who attacked a black conservative woman. 
And I mean, it was, it was, it was outrageous. But you really didn't hear a peep from the liberals. And when I saw the video, I got so angry that I went on to her congressional website at the time. I found her information, and I called her up and asked her for the for an interview. And ever and since then, we've we've grown an awesome friendship. She is someone who loves people. And she's very strong in her convictions, as you all are going to find out. And I am so glad that she decided to run again for the same seat. I'll have her tell the congressional district there in Tennessee because I don't want to say the wrong one. So Pro-Life Fridays Radio, please join us in welcoming Miss. Charlotte Bergman, back to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. She's running for a U.S. congressional seat from the great state of Tennessee. Charlotte, welcome back to the show, my friend. Oh, and geez, Thomas, I I was just waiting for you to continue. I mean, the check is in the mail. I love that introduction. <laughs> and I also, um, the, the ad that you played concerning abortion, I don't know, that was my first time hearing it, and it just brought tears to my eyes, and it felt like someone had kicked me in my stomach just hearing about how people, how can people be so so cruel? But anyway, that's why I'm running for office. I'm running for office because we have a number of legislators that we have trusted, and they've gone to Washington, D.C., and they drank of the... Um, the water from the palm up on the river, and you never, they never do the things that they say that they're going to go to Washington, D.C. to fight for. I right. am a native Memphian. I want to say hi to you guys. And Memphis has always been my home. I was a graduate of Christian Brothers University, and I love America. And I've had so many obstacles and so many diversities and so many um so many things happening in my life that what transpired between that particular radio talk show host and myself was nothing compared to what I've experienced. God has blessed me to be able to have a backbone, and I'm here ready to roll my sleeves up and get out and fight for my community. So I'm a nice person, but I'm a fighter too. Amen. Well, now, I'm gonna um, jump right, before you before you jump right into it. I have a few questions that I that I would like to ask in light of what's been coming down the pipe recently. You know, with Congressman mm-hmm. Grayson comparing the Tea Party to the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> My first question to you is this. Um, Unlike your last election, what what do you think is different in this climate in the city of Memphis, and also tell us the district as well, um, that could propel you to victory in this in this um, election cycle? Well, you know, um, 
Congressman Grayson, he is, he loves the media and he loves to say things that are daring, but he is historically incorrect in terms of uh, who the Ku Klux Klan was. Uh, They were a part of the militant leg of the Democrats. My district is the ninth congressional district in Tennessee. It encompasses Memphis, Tennessee. Now, when I ran for office in 2010, there were over 700,000 people in the district, but there were mostly liberals in the district. As a result of the activities um, and what happened in 2010 when the Tea Party uh, became active and it motivated people to get up and, and leave their armchairs and get out to vote, we were able to win the House. So what has actually transpired now is as a result of us winning the House, we control the redistricting process. Now, the ninth District consists of more conservatives. Uh, we have a arm of or a section of the ninth District which encompasses military people who typically are very patriotic people and love the Constitution and love God, just as I do. There is another area which encompasses a large group of people who have actually moved out of Memphis, and they are your conservative, um, say your husband and wife who maybe have a couple of children. They get involved with the school system. They probably work. They have their cars. They're not dependent upon the government uh, largesse uh, looking for handouts. These are people who are not um, enthralled in the anger and the um, the things that happened in Memphis and starting back in 1968 when Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated, which right. that is something that Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson has monopolized on and gotten people uh, to thinking, well, to be a conservative, to be a Republican is in essence to follow the races. So what is happening now? is I've got a new group of people who are open to receiving a message of freedom, liberty. I have now, compared to what happened in 2010, I did not have the Frederick Douglass message. And I'm finding out that, yes, there are people who are resisting the Republican name, but people are more amenable to accepting the Frederick Douglas message of respect for life, respect for the Constitution, limited government. No one wants to pay a lot of tax. Uh, Respect for their ability to be uh, independent and assume personal responsibility for their decisions. Additionally, God has blessed me to take over the and have a show on the very same radio station that the gentleman who Uh, assaulted me verbally was on. So, I mean, that was just poetic justice. But with uh, with my radio show, I'm able to reach thousands of people. We have a listening audience of approximately 50,000 people. We have, um, as of recently, we had Theo Blunt to come to Memphis to um, be with me for a meet and greet where I made my announcement that I was going to run for office. After I'd made my announcement, 
he determined that it was worth Freedom Works um, taking a look at at me and talking to me. So we're making plans now to go to Washington, D.C. Now, why is that? If you notice, back in 2010, 2012, Ted Cruz was was not even a blip on the radar. Neither was Mike Lee. But Freedom Works got behind them, and as with the, the Tea Party in 2010, they got behind them, and they uh, were victorious in their races. And you know, we have reached a point, Thomas, where it is critical, critical right. that we send strong, hard, um, strong conservatives to Washington, D.C. before it's too late because we have a president and we have a congressman in the Ninth District who are pure socialists, who believes in distribution of wealth. That means if you have any money, they will plan to take it from you and give it to someone who doesn't want to work. And we cannot become a strong country, a strong nation, with that type of mentality and those types of of, um, policies. Well, let me ask you this question. That that was, your answer was very succinct and to point. But Letitia um, presented a question that she wanted me to ask you. So you're elected. How are you going to deal with the Congressional Black Caucus, you know, that group of people that if you scratch their back, they'll scratch your back? And a part two to that question is how do you stand firm in the face of individuals saying, okay, you need to be a one-issue voter? Like, for instance, there are a lot of conservatives who are personally pro-life, but they don't believe that the pro-life issue is one that is worth fighting for. It's a topic that's best saved for another day. Me personally, I don't understand the rational in that because if you if you can't stand for life, you don't need to worry about an economy because you don't have any people to help sustain the economy. So anyway, so okay. how do you deal with those, All right, let those me, two issues? Let Go me ahead. answer your question about the Congressional Black Caucus. I personally do not respect their stance the ideology that they follow, I cannot. And I will not waste my time uh, working with them. I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, They railroaded um, uh, the former congressman, Alan West, who attempted to work with them. They undermined him. And as a result of of his uh, involvement with them, that really caused him to actually, I think, lose his election. The Bible says to not be unequally yoked. And I believe if I were to uh, try to fit into their mode, be sucked into what they believe, I want them to come to me. And I will not, I do not go back on what I believe in. I stand strong in what I believe in. I in order to understand that, you'd have to understand my background, and I will elaborate on that just just in a moment. I will also answer your second question, which is um, a one-issue person. I personally 
am someone who looks forward to representing my community. And as we as a nation vote for representatives who will, who will represent the individual uh, communities, districts that they are elected to serve, as we as conservatives go to Washington, D.C., there are primary issues that need to be addressed. Um, before I went through what I did, before I got involved in politics, I was a project manager. I managed projects. I always managed projects based upon cost, quality, and the ability to be able to get the jobs, the job done. And in order to be successful, we prioritize things. And as we have more conservatives going to Washington, D.C., we can address those important issues that conservatives need as we address the major issues that are facing our nation right now, which in my estimation right now, we have got to get this this nation back on a sound course of economic prosperity. We also have got to address the social issues because the social issues feed into the economic issues. You see, you yep. cannot, you cannot, um, you cannot cut, reduce the budget, uh, and expect for people to um, think that that's okay. As and when I say okay, meaning you cannot cut the budget and think that people are going to be happy with it immediately. People who are uh, receiving welfare, people who are receiving food stamps and things of that nature, uh, the budget now is set up to promote um, aid, education, uh, various other social ills that really are hurting people in the long run. Back right. in 1994, Pre President Clinton reluctantly was uh, brought to the table to sign the Welfare Reform Act. At that particular time, uh, everybody thought it was the worst thing in the world for him to do. But I, have, um, I know people personally who were receiving welfare at the time, and that mentality was so strong in that you would see them, and it was like the attitude was, what can you do for me or what have you done for me lately? Once, that, um, once they were cut off and uh, they were encouraged to get jobs, you saw the mindset change almost immediately. You saw a, a mindset of a, the desire to want to assume responsibility, to not want to pay a lot of uh, extra taxes. And what they were able to do was to add to the uh, the treasury because of the taxes that they were able to pay as a result of their investment in our nation. Once people assume responsibility, those social ills, they start thinking twice about just laying up and having babies and expecting uh, the, the government to take care of them. And people, in a lot of instances, I've noticed that they too begin to understand um, that abortion is wrong. They start thinking about those more issues. Now, I here in Memphis work with various organizations like Life Choices, like um, Family Action Council. Life Choices is an organization which well, we don't just stand in front of Planned Parenthood and hold up signs and discourage uh, young people from going in to get an abortion 
why? Because when a young girl has gotten to that point, she has reached a point of desperation. And she may not go in that day, but she may come back later. What we like to do is talk to that young girl and say, we've got an alternative for you. We can help you uh, to either... Uh, get the prenatal care that you need to talk to you about giving that baby a chance of life. Uh, Adoption is an option that they uh, present. And so, therefore, what you do is you have a mother who thinks about, I have a life, but I have a life that is within me. Does that life deserve another life? Is that, do I need to look at that child as a burden or can someone else take care of that baby? Those are right. options that they begin to to think about as we uh, work with life choices to be able to introduce introduce those ideals to them. Secondarily, I work with Family Action Council. We teach basic things like marriage being between one man and one woman. We teach about uh, how harmful abortion is, and we teach you know, various things which would encourage more people to take responsibility from a social perspective. I'd like to support organizations like that even more and to provide them with the resources necessary so they can be even more helpful in the community to help other people. But uh, the bottom line is as we just give people Handouts, handouts without people assuming responsibility for their action. They forget about all morals. Even if they go to church on Sundays, they in many times, many instances forget about morals and they become dependent upon the government and that is a cancer that is destroying our nation economically as well as socially. Right. Can I talk about me a little bit? Yeah. Does that answer you guys' question? Yes, that answers that that answers all the questions that I have. Now I was gonna go in to share a little bit of your your personal story because in the times that I've interviewed you, I don't think you've ever shared your personal story. So go ahead. How much time do I have? Oh, let's see. The show ends you have, there's an hour and one minute left. I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, as I said. It's always been my home, but I've traveled around America rather extensively throughout the United States. Mostly I've spent time in Washington, D.C. And um, as I said, I really love America, and she is worth fighting for. I am a graduate of Christian Brothers University. It is a Christian university, and there are brothers and nuns who actually teach the students. I'm currently a managing partner in a small family-run business, We provide support for seniors uh, who are experiencing dementia or or, uh, Alzheimer or experiencing arthritis, and we provide inpatient or outpatient care for those individuals. I really believe America is the greatest country in this world, and right now it is the last bastion of hope. So therefore, we have no choice but to stand and fight for America. I believe that right now things are are really bad in Washington D.C., but I think there have been times in our in our history where we have reached a precipice. But with God's grace, we can pull back and change the things in this nation. Now, I've always felt, even as a young child, 
starting at the age of four, God had something really significant for me to do to make a difference in this world. And I learned to persevere in spite of the various obstacles I experienced from a young age. And my story is that of the Frederick Douglass story. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but I developed a love for reading at a very young age. Um, At about six or seven years old, I was reading the first books of the Bible. Um, And my love for the Bible was so instilled in me uh, by my grandmother, who was an evangelist, and my father, who served in World War II, and he was a Baptist minister in this community for over 40 years. Now, I wasn't Catholic at the time, but I'm Catholic now, but my family was large. I was the fourth child in a family of 10. And I started um, in second grade um, sleeping in, we, we lived in a three-room house. Uh, there was one one room set aside for the children. We had two full-size beds. So we had eight children to a bed, two at the top and two at the bottom in both beds. And the others uh, either slept on the couch or slept on the floor. Um, but we didn't know we were poor. But, but we learned to depend on each other and to be strong. And we survived through our roller coaster relationship. As you're talking about ten children in a house, there were fights. There were times when, you know, we just didn't get along and we had to learn how to share. But we uh, I think those were the beginnings of my life when I realized that, you know, it was necessary to be strong. Now I married at an early age and I had three children and during that time I devoted my time to my husband and we raised our children uh, to love the Lord. We would, we were a family that would get up early in the morning to have devotion with the children before they went to work. I was involved in PTA. I was one of those mothers that my husband said, um, "Do not work." <laughs> you know, I was definitely henpecked. I wasn't allowed to work. I was allowed to do certain things and not others. And at that time, I thought it was normal. I was a Girl Scout uh, mother. I was taught Sunday school. But then things changed when I got involved with PTA and I started uh, going to, I went to Nashville a couple of times to work with the PTA on a project that Governor Lamar Alexander, the governor at that time, was working on. It was the Better Schools Program. And we would go to Nashville and lobby with the legislators and after having been so henpecked for so long, I was we parked our the van on Pike Street, which that street leads into uh, leads up to the Capitol. And I saw a young girl walking down the hill, and she looked like she had something that she was doing that meant a lot. And for some reason, there all of a sudden, with everything I had going on, there was an emptiness in my life, and I felt there was something else I needed to do. And so when my children got old enough, I went back to school, and I um, graduated and got my degrees, um, ultimately finishing my master's uh, through the corporation FedEx because I then made, I began to realize I needed to make a change in my life, and so with that change came divisions in my family, and ultimately my husband was sent to uh, Detroit to work, and I 
stayed in Memphis to finish my education, and four years later, we were divorced, and I began to do other things. I began to work as a manager at FedEx, working on their PowerShip 3 systems and helping the company grow, and I began to learn, and I learned to program, and FedEx put me through additional schooling. Uh, But then, again, my life came to an abrupt stop, and uh, I was um, a part of a group um, which went through a restructuring process, and ultimately I lost my job at FedEx, and ultimately I retired from FedEx, but not before I went through a period in my life where I lost everything, my home, um, everything I thought was important, ended up living in my car, and the reason for that was because at that time my children were grown, and I didn't want to move. I w- would receive offers from other areas of the country to come to work with, and I had really great skills. But I wanted to stay in Memphis. Memphis was my home. I just purchased a home. I wanted to be with my children and my family. And sometimes when God sees that you're holding on to material things for so long, he gives you an opportunity to realize that those material things aren't as important as the next thing he has for you to do. To make a long story short, persevered, went through that, um, was tapped on the shoulder by the tea parties to run for office after I got back on my feet, and the rest is history. I've been doing this, and it's like God has given me such a drive, such a strong drive to reach out to help people. Um, As an unknown person, in 2010, I ran, and I garnered 33,000 votes. I mean, nobody knew who I was before then, but I gained a lot of votes. I didn't win because the money came in at the very last moment. But what I realized was I had the character you were looking for, female, driven female, who had done the things that they'd done, who had known failure and successes but still persevered. Uh, I ran again in 2012. I was uh, outspent. I had I was able to raise about thirty thousand dollars. My opponent, um, Republican in the primary, spent about almost eight hundred thousand dollars against me to defeat me. Um, but anyway, he did not win either because he did not fit the profile that people were looking for in a leader. Well, this congressman now is doing so many things with people in the community. When you go into the community, they really are looking forward to defeating him and, and to getting he, rid of him. He, uh, Memphis is a big town, but it has a small town mentality. And you may hear about people who may have extremely bad social ills, but that's because typically you hear about people like that, but you don't hear about the hundreds and thousands of people who are living normally, who have great lives, and who are counting every penny and taking care of their family, and believe it or not, those people outnumber the ones that you hear about, and those are the people that I am targeting, and I'm looking forward to a successful run. I'm looking forward to going to Washington, D.C., because I feel like that's where I'm supposed to be, and I feel very strongly that we will be victorious in 2014. So, okay. So here's my tongue-in-cheek question. When you win, Mm -hmm. are you going to forget about us here at Pro 
Life Fridays Radio, or do we get a VIP invite to your um, campaign victory celebration? There you go. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And more importantly than that, Thomas, you have my my personal cell phone number, and I will not change my number because I think it's very, very important for representatives to know what people in the community want. And that's why I love Ted Cruz so much and Mike Lee and the various other people who um, took the stance. They didn't do that because... Uh, they felt that that was the best thing to do. They listened to their constituents. They listened to the people who sent them there. And they chose to not have friends in Washington, D.C., but to stand for the people. So what has happened now is we have been branded as Republicans, as people who are not have not stood for Obamacare, a law which is going to destroy this nation. That's why it's so urgent for us to get together and to fight and to be victorious. Right. You know, so what is your feeling on the whole uh, how some in the Republican Party have attacked Senator Cruz, um, have attacked uh, others who stood with them? You know, personally for me, you know, they can't these are the same individuals who can't even stand on the issue of life they car they cave in at the at the mere mention of a mistake but at the same time the liberals walk around trumpeting their immoral lifestyle how do you how what what your personal as a republican woman and as a black republican woman who when you are elected, you will be the first black woman elected to no, I won't. as a Republican. No, yeah, I won't. As a Republican? No, I won't. No, I won't. We've got, okay, we've got me alone that's running. We've got the young lady in Illinois that is, is running. Um, let me tell you, I'm looking forward to being able to go to Washington, D.C. and to form a uh, camaraderie with other Republican conservative women who stand for those things that right. are right. Now, um, it's, it's, it's really, really important that we keep that in mind because we can't afford to have any doubts in our mind this is going to happen. Exactly. It will happen. Now, exactly. you, you asked a question earlier. As I mentioned before, I was a manager, and here, and I'm a leader. And here's the difference between a manager and a leader. A manager sees the individual trees and develops tactics to be able to get around those trees. As a leader, right. I see things from a thousand. Uh, I see things above the trees, and I can look at the whole landscape. And see, what has been happening is Republicans looked at the failure that occurred when Ted Cruz and Mike Lee and the other Republicans stood and fought for us against Obamacare. And they felt as though they were defeated. Well, let me just put it like this. What I saw was a battle and that ultimately we would win the war. I never expected Mm -hmm that the results would change so rapidly that within a week 
we would be back in the driver's seat. But, you know, that's because of God. Right. That's because of God. That's exactly right. That is so That is so true because you now, even though they're denying it, they're they're actually, the White House is actually talking about um, delaying the individual mandate. And see, Mm -hmm. the thing of it Mm -hmm. is, if they would have just held in there and not caved, because, I mean, I... Well, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah, woulda, coulda, shoulda, but see... And they and they think they think that um, because of this, oh, we're doomed. And I love how the polls are calling conservatives, oh, they're ranked as they're the poorest and the lowest and all this stuff. But it's it's candidates like you who are going to ride the wave of conservative anger that's going to sweep you off into office. Because, see, the, mm-hmm. they're exactly. anticipating that we're going to stay home in 2014. That's not true. <laughs> That's not exactly. true at all. That anger, that anger is so palpable, and, I mean, people can hardly be contained. Uh, now, right. I feel very strongly that Democrats stay home compare it to the 2012 election because the president is not going to be on the ballot. Right. In my district, in my district alone, there are over 705,000 people in this district alone. And out of that number, 500,000 are registered to vote. Can you believe that there has only been approximately 100,000 people who have driven the political climate in this community because you've got Republicans who've been afraid to stand up and to attempt to be victorious. They've been afraid to go into the neighborhood to make a difference. But there is a, the Bible says the harvest is plenteous, but the labor is you, there is a lot to be harvested in those communities. And people like myself or any other pe- person of color who actually is not afraid to go into those communities, we can drive, bring people to the polls because they're tired of the, what the Democrats are doing for the most part. And I listen right. to C-SPAN. And uh, it just amazes me, black females calling in, Angry, you know how we get when we get angry. That passion is just dripping from their mouths, and they talk about Obamacare and how Obamacare is so bad for them because they're dealing with the realities of Obamacare, not a website. They're dealing with what they, what is happening in the doctor's office or not happening in the doctor's office. Right. Obamacare, if the Republicans play their cards right, that will be. Our, our tool for recruitment. Right. And let's see, the thing of it is, you have to get them. How do we get them to pull their heads out of their rear end? The victory is right there because people have been praying for this nation. Exactly. And like I've said, you know, with all the hand-wringing, oh, our nation is going to hell in a handbasket and all this stuff. People are still praying. Um, I, I, God, 
Go ahead. Exactly. Sorry. Tell me. Exactly. God I want not meet the with this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. So, especially while I, people are still praying. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there there are many there are many people who have compromised their biblical principles to you know to worship a false idol. And I'm gonna call it as it is. President Obama is a false idol. People worship mm-hmm. him. Many millions of Christians um, walked away from their mm-hmm. biblical principles to vote for him. But you know exactly. what? They're still exactly. repentant. But Charlotte, how do we? How do we? As you're bringing in um, folks from the community, how do we get them to understand that, you know, if you want to be successful, you can be, but you cannot allow the government to drive your success because the whole purpose is to keep you subservient to them, you know, when when the uh, when the IOU comes due, they're going to come banging on your door. How do you how do you teach or how do you plan to teach the community? You know that you are perfectly capable of of achieving any goals that you set for to achieve. And I'm talking specifically well, black community. Yeah, and, and and I would just say this. As long as someone is full and lazy and is always receiving what they want and don't have to work for anything, they won't do it at all. But if you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, the EBT system went down and people yep. panicked. Well, a government big enough to give you that is big enough to take it away from you. And I use, and I talk about this on my radio show, I talk about people, talk about this one-on-one with people. But what we're planning to do in my campaign, with my running for office, we plan to make that a very integral part of my campaign, to just talk to people face-to-face. You know, I've got a congressman who panders to people, and instead of saying, no, we can't do this for you, uh, he makes excuses and because he wants to vote. Um, personally, I want to hire people who are going to be in a position to not only just um, help people who are actually truly in need, but to set up programs in order to train people. I'm the Sober House Homeless Mission, in addition to Family Action Council and Life Choices. And we're in the process now of talking to our county commissioners to acquire people who uh, may not be working and or are retired who are willing, if we acquire the school, to set up training classes for various people, to train people to actually do those basic things that could be done. For instance, back before the big uh, 
uh, influx of people depending upon the government. Before then, we had individuals who were maybe sharecroppers, true, but we had people who who learned skills, who told themselves mechanics or plumbing or various uh, other skills, skills that will not be outsourced. We want to set up a situation like that where as many people as possible, we can train them to do those, to uh, develop those basic skills and to learn to be entrepreneurs. Because the bottom line is people want to work. People do want to work. And once they realize that the government, they cannot necessarily partake of the government largesse any longer, when they learn those immediate skills, and learn how to be entrepreneurs and to be able to do the accounting and um, the various things that they need in order to manage their money, people would, would begin to do better and live better. Uh, you've got young people now. If you look at their vices, say young people who are selling dope on the street, what skills do they have right now that is invaluable? Many of them. Right are good at accounting. Many of them are good at sales. Now, help them to understand that these are skills that you can turn into positive skills. So you can um, sell something that is legitimate. You won't have to look over your shoulders so much. I was in a meeting today with one of our judges, and he was so inspirational because, and I hadn't thought about it, but years ago, we had topless bars in our community. And, you know, it's just sometimes when things change and you don't notice it until somebody mentions it, then you realize, oh, that's right. Well, he has chased all the topless bars out of the community, and now he is working on trying to get people. He is finding people for not taking care of their property. And he will put them in jail for not taking care of their property. And as he said, good people, good people probably just need that little incentive. But good people don't want to go to jail for 10 days. And he said, sometimes when when um, people don't do what they want, that what they're supposed to, and they go to their sentence to jail and those do- those um, the door is closed, they get religion <laughs> immediately. This, right. this is good people now, and they will come out and do the right things. Uh, I think we've spent so much time giving, giving without expecting anything in return, and that is right. something that needs to change in order to help the community. Right. Uh, those part are of what I ideas off the top of my head. Part of what I think needs to be done is that they need to put the charity and taking care of the people back into the role of the church. But the government came in Absolutely. and they tried to replace the church. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I I really, I really don't know what to, what to think of that anymore. You know, like with the, with the Pro-Life Fridays radio, True Radio Network, you know, Frederick Douglass Foundation of Missouri Radio Network. Those are, you know, those are, this is ministry to me. And um, even though, you know, we we do what we do because we want to make a difference in life, this is what God's called anointed, open up doors 
to um, influential people because of it, this is what he's called me to do. And to have the opportunity Mm -hmm. to interview someone like you who will be going on to, um, you know, you will be going on to Washington, D.C., and uh, Mm -hmm. I sincerely hope that I'd be, when I come to D.C., I'll be able to call you up and say, hey, Charlotte, I'm in Washington. Let's go to the Capitol Grill for dinner or something like that, and, you know... (laughs) That sounds but, great. I have um, met a number of the senators and, and congressmen there. But, you know, Washington, D.C. is not new to me, and this is why I yeah. feel like when I was going through some of my phases in life, uh, when I lost my job, I took it upon myself to start going to Washington, D.C. to get involved in Washington, D.C. I got involved in George W. Bush's campaign. And I became so persistent after he won because I wanted my community to be the community to have, um, to be, to provide jobs for people in the community. And I used the money that, uh, when I left FedEx, I received the severance package. I used that money to fly back and forth to Washington, D.C. to talk to the legislators, to talk to them about um doing whatever is necessary to change the environment so that the private sector could create jobs or so that entrepreneurs could be able to do what they need in order to to do better. Because, see, I've always wanted people to avoid what I've gone through. And even now that I have my, my business, I lost the election in 2012, but it was always important for me to be able to help people to get jobs so what I've done as a result of my business, I've enabled some people to get work. So a sense of satisfaction on a small scale. I look forward to doing this on a large scale. Well, I go to Washington, I, just, I just have a, I just have one question for you. What are you waiting for? Okay. <laughs> what are you well, waiting for? That's my question. Well, 2014. Um, if any of your listeners want to find out more about me, because I couldn't cover everything about me in a short period of time, they can go to my website, Elect Bergman. That's Elect Bergman. And Bergman is spelled with two N's. Go to my website, find out about me. And I would appreciate support from your listeners. You may not live in my district, but this is a district which is represented by someone who do not share our principles, and is worth fighting for. This is a district where when we experience victory in this community, that victory will resonate throughout the nation. Because, see, the Republican Party is dying out, and it needs new blood, and I've ripped new blood. I want to reiterate, my uh, web address is Elect Bergman. And even if you don't live in this district, if you will be willing to make some phone calls, I will send you a list. And you can make phone calls from your area to ask people to support me, to get involved, or to talk about me. And and you guys can drive to um, Memphis and help me (laughs) win this election. But win it, we need to, and win it, we will. That would be As the president said, yes, we 
That might be as the president that said, be yes, 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 you can. That may be what? Said, well, the president said, yes, we can. Yeah. Well, the president says, yes, we can. I tell the people who support me, we will not say that. Absolutely not. Yes, we will is yep, what yep, I encourage will. people who support me to say. Exactly. Yes, that I like that. Um, so let's see. I think you have anything you have anything else that you would like to add before we before we go? I um I'm at a phenomenal Christian men's I, retreat, so I stepped away to do my interview with you <laughs> because you are a very special friend, and I wasn't going to miss this interview for. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I, oh, no, I would no, like to say no. this. Go ahead. I will like to say this. Campaigns are in need of money. You could have the best candidate in the world, but without money, uh, the you can just kiss it goodbye. Any opportunities that one may have to be victorious, it will not happen unless you have money. I had a good message, but I had I ran against a doctor who spent almost eight hundred thousand dollars. And people who donate to my campaign, I would appreciate it if you would go to my website, make a donation of five dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars, fifty dollars, thousand, twenty six hundred. I can't take any more than twenty six hundred. That would help a lot. Well, either there you go. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear can you, you hear now. Me, okay. Sorry about that. My Bluetooth. I can hear you now. Be... Okay. I was getting ready to say, well, folks, there you have it, Miss Charlotte Bergman, and with your support, Pro Life Fridays listeners, go to her website. Elect Charlotte, or Elect Bergman, that's B-E-R-G-M-A-N-N dot com. Find out what Mm -hmm. she's about and consider a donation of any amount up to $2,600, like she said. And um, do that for us. We here at Pro-Life Fridays Radio We're going to try to do a little bit because, folks, let me tell you something. This woman is worth getting to Washington, D.C. I've known her since, well, was it since, I think, since 2011 when when the incident happened. And, folks, she is worth it. Everything that you've heard about her on this interview is real and she will not change, if not even for the matter that if she was to change once she got to Washington, D.C., I don't think she'd want me haunting her. So, you know, so you can be assured <laughs> that she is a principled woman who says what she means and means what she says. So. Well, Thank you for that, Thomas. And and two things I want to say. It's not necessarily you that I have to give an account to. It is God, and he I is know. the one that I'm afraid of. And and I have uh, Niger Ennis, I mean, Niger Ennis, Ennis, who is going to be my guest tomorrow morning. Yes, Niger Ennis, 
who is going to be my guest tomorrow morning on Straight Down the Line with Charlotte and Charles. And uh, I'd love for people to listen to me. Uh, I will post the link on your website, on your Facebook page. Yes, post it on my wall, and I will get that. Um, I will get that um, shared with my friends. And I just want to thank you, Charlotte. Um, it's always a pleasure to interview you, and I'll probably give you a call this Sunday when I get back home from um, from doing my retreat. See how you're doing, and see what else we could do to help you personally so thank you you so much god bless you and thank you for allowing me to talk with your listening audience you're very welcome and god bless you bye-bye bye-bye well folks there you have it you have been listening to Pro-Life Friday's radio interview with Ms. Charlotte Bergman running for U.S. Um, U.S. Office, U.S. House seat, and the 9th Congressional District in Tennessee. So please consider a donation. Go to our website, elect Bergman. B-E-R-G-M-A-N-N dot com and consider a donation of any amount up to $2,600. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pro-Life Friday's Radio here on the True Radio, the True Radio Network. can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. I do not join in the belief that the Africans are equal in brain or in time. We are all in submitting to the dictates of an ever-increasing, unceasingly spawning class of human beings who never should have been born at all. The laws of nature require the obliteration of the unfit. The best way to hate a nigger is to hate him before he is born. American eugenicists were routinely praising Hitler and holding up the Nazi eugenics program as a model for the United States to copy. Non-white races must be excluded from America. The red and black races, if left to themselves, revert to a savage or semi-savage state in a short time. The only way possible of decreasing Negro population is by means of controlling fertility. Birth control facilities could be extended relatively more to Negroes than to whites, since Negroes are more concentrated in the lower income and education classes. We hope that the restraint of population growth can come about through voluntary means. But if it does not, involuntary methods will be used. There should be national sterilization for certain dysgenic types of our population who are being encouraged to breed and would die out for the government not feeding them. If this movement continues, we soon may be accused of fighting poverty by eliminating the poor and overcoming hunger by removing the hungry. For all their failures, 
what the eugenics movement had accomplished was to lay the foundation for the next phase of their plan. And this is where they would find the success that they had been chasing.